O Lord, our God, you have chosen to make yourself known through your creation, your word, your son, and your spirit. Now reveal your glory to us and through us, the church. Speak to us, form us, lead us, dwell in us. Teach us today how to love as Jesus loves, to welcome the stranger, heal the sick, and care for the poor, to bear good news, build bridges, and bring your people home. For Christ in us is the hope of glory. May your perfect will prevail in us this day. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. So we're, we're continuing with our series called We Are Family. Um, and today's talk that I'm going to do with you today is the first of, of three where we're going to get kind of a little bit more real with what we've been talking about. Um, we all know that being family is not always pretty. And sometimes it can get straight up messy, being family. Um, we're all people. We make mistakes. We live with people who make mistakes. Um, we're all part of the mess, all of us. But for the next three weeks, we're going to talk about how do we deal with the mess? And how do we deal with the mess in a way that doesn't make it worse, but actually helps us in our relationships to come out stronger on the other side? Now, I don't know what every family is going through right now. Some of you may be going through messy times right now. Some of you may have gone through messy times recently or in your past. For some of you, maybe things are good right now. I do know this, though. Every family goes through messy times. Every family. Every person goes through messy times. And church families are no exception, either. If you've been around church long enough, you've probably seen messes with church family, too. So today, we're going to start by dealing with something that is the cause of many of the messes that we see in our lives, and the result of many of the messes that we see in our lives. And it's not only the cause and the result, but it's something that also makes those messes so much worse. Talking about bitterness. Bitterness. It's also called resentment. Bad blood. <coughs> hatred. Bitterness is so important that the writer of the book of Hebrews wrote this to the first Christians, right? the early church, he wrote this. Make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. This is still as relevant today as it was then. So let's talk about bitterness. So that we can avoid it destroying us. Now, we're going to be looking at a story today that has a lot to say about bitterness, where it comes from, and the harm that it causes when it is not dealt with in a healthy way. We are going to be reading from the book of Genesis, chapter 37, the story of Jacob and his sons. Um, for those of you who don't know, Trinity Church actually has an app. You can find it in your uh, iOS or Android uh, app store. Look for Trinity Church LA, and it's there. You'll see our little logo there. Um, and the reason I'm telling you about that is because in our Trinity Church app, it has a built-in Bible app. So you can just go right there. If you have a Bible app already installed on your phone, why don't you go ahead and check that out. Um, turn to Genesis 37. If you have a Bible in front of you, go ahead and turn to Genesis 37. We're going to read through this together. Jacob lived in the land where his father had stayed, the land of Canaan. 
And this is the account of Jacob's family line. Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks with his brothers, the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. And he brought their father a bad report about them. Now, Israel, that was Jacob's other name. That was the name that God gave Jacob. He said, I'm going to call you Israel. Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age. And he made an ornate robe for him. He made this coat of many colors for his son. And when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and they could not speak a kind word to him. Joseph had a dream. And when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, listen to this dream I had. He's all excited about his dream, right? We were binding these sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf of grain rose up and stood upright while your sheaves of grain gathered around mine and bowed down to it. His brothers said to him, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule over us? And they hated him all the more because his dream and what he had said. Then he had another dream and he told it to his brothers. Listen, I had another dream and this time the sun and the moon and the 11 stars were bowing down to me. When he told his father as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, what is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind. Today, we are simply going to address what are the, 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 the causes and the effects of bitterness in our lives. I think it's important for us to recognize that bitterness comes from somewhere. It's caused by something. So where does bitterness come from? I think the easy answer, the, the church answer, is to say, well, it's sin. It's a result of the sin on all of us called sin. But specifically, what, is, what, does, what form does this sin take on that causes bitterness in our lives? And today I propose to you that a, that a major cause of bitterness in our lives and in our hearts specifically springs from what today we're going to call dysfunction. And I know this, this word kind of sounds weird, dysfunction junction, what's your function, okay? <laughs> this dysfunction is a big deal. Dysfunction in our own beings, dysfunction in our relationships. That word simply means... The word dysfunction simply means relationships are not functioning. They're not working properly. They're not growing and thriving in the way that they're supposed to, right? There is dysfunction. Now, now please hear me out, okay, because this is an important distinction to make. Dysfunction is not the same as having conflict. Every family, every family, every relationship has conflict, right? That is normal. It's, things happen, right? But dysfunction is when conflict is something that comes between a relationship instead of something that we tackle together. Does that make sense? Dysfunction is not the same as conflict, right? Uh, for example, say you've had a rough day at school. Or for those of you who go to work, you've had a rough day at work, right? <coughs> that happens to everybody, doesn't it? Some of you maybe had a rough day or several days this week. That's conflict. Dysfunction is when I come home and I take out my frustration on my family. Or for those of you who work primarily from home, dysfunction is when the one who works comes home and you take out your frustration on them because they were gone all day. Dysfunction. Or say that someone in your family passes away. 
which is conflict that has happened to everybody, right? We've had several deaths in our, in our church family just over the past few weeks. That's conflict. It happens to everybody, right? But dysfunction is when, in the aftermath of that person passing away, the family members start squabbling over money and possessions and property. That's dysfunction. Right? You see the difference between conflict and dysfunction? Conflict happens to everybody. Dysfunction is when we allow that conflict to get between us. And, of course, sometimes dysfunction is displayed in the things that we do and the choices that we make. And sometimes dysfunction comes from the things that are done to us. In other words, dysfunction is not always your fault. It's the things that have been done to you in your life or your past from your family of origin. I want to ask you to get in groups of two or three and go ahead and share all the dysfunctional things about your family right now. I'm just totally kidding. I'm not going to ask you to do that. I am not going to ask you to do that. I just wanted to see if you were paying attention. Um, no, actually, you know, the, the stories in the Bible are here for us to learn from, right? A lot of times we wonder, like, these are supposed to be like the, the holy people of the Bible. These people are pretty messed up. Um, that's actually there on purpose. Because these stories are there for us to learn <laughs> from them. And for those of us who feel like we have messed up lives or messed up families, we can feel like, oh, hey, <laughs> I can relate to these guys. They've got some messed up families, too. So, no, we're actually going to um, look at some of the dysfunction that we see in, in Jacob's family. So what I do want you to do is, in groups of four or five, go ahead and get, get together with people. And just look at the story of Jacob, right? Look at these first 11 chapters. What are some of the things that you see that are not quite right with Jacob's family. Just from that 11, just from those 11 verses. Just take a couple minutes, get together with people around you, look at that story and think, what are, what are some of the things that we see in this family that, that, don't, that don't look quite right? Go ahead and do that right now. Just take a couple minutes to do that. All right, five, four, three, two, one. I wanna just, just go ahead and shout out, what were some of the things that you identified? Jealousy, expectations, favoritism. favoritism. What do you mean by expectations? His brothers had expectations. He was altered. You had an expectation. Now his brother was the ruler of the household. Yeah, yeah. So we're going to get to that, right? Eldest brother didn't didn't quite step up to that role. Uh, favoritism, jealousy. Anything else? A lot of assumptions. Arrogance. Okay. So these are just some of the things. Here's some of the things that I that I identified. Some of you identified some things that were good too. That I may not have seen. Um, first of all, there was misbehavior, right? The, the brothers were out there in the fields tending their sheep, and then, you know, Jacob gives a bad report about them. He's a tattletale. Um, in every family of multiple siblings, there's always one kid who does everything right, or at least looks like they do everything right, you know, maybe on the surface. You know, that, that one usually ends up being the tattletale, and you know how well that usually goes over, right? Not well at all, right? Um, like... like you said there's favoritism, right? Um, favoritism is not ever a good idea, right? And as parents, I know this is hard sometimes because sometimes we do have one kid that, that acts better than the other one and we're like, well, why can't you act more like, right? Um, parents, we should never love one kid more than another. We do have to love our kids differently because our kids are different. I can't love my one kid the same as I love my other kid because they're different people. But favoritism is not good. Just not. It's not good. Um, like you said, assumptions, right? They don't listen to each other. Right? Did anybody ever actually just sit down with jo Joseph and say, look, I know you've had these dreams and they seem very real. Um, 
But can you see that it's making your brothers angry? Can you just, can you tone it down with the excitement, right, about your dreams? Um, yeah, they're not listening. And then, they, you know, or did they ever stop and think, is there, some, is there something to these dreams, right? Um, Dad, can you, can you possibly step in and kind of deal with your sons? He kind of just, there's this resentment building up, and he wasn't really handling it, right? You've got these grown sons. These are grown men. They have their own wives and their own families. And they have this red-hot jealousy toward their brother. They can't handle it. How many of you know that even as grown people, the stuff that we dealt with as kids, our family of origin, still comes out in our relationships today? How many of you know that? It does, doesn't it? We've got to deal with this stuff. It doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter how... You ever feel that feeling of like, why does this thing still bother me? It happened when I was five. Yeah, because there's a wound there. You've got to deal with that. And we see that coming out with Jacob's sons. And as you might know about this story, the dysfunction doesn't start here. In Jacob's family of origin, there was trickery, there was adultery, there was murder, there was revenge. Now, I would argue that every family has its dysfunction, either presently or in the past or both. Every family has relationships that are not functioning properly or in a healthy way. Or maybe they have been in the past. But, but here, I want, you, I want to make this connection between dysfunction and bitterness, right? You're like, well, how does, what does one have to do with the other one? Here's the, here's the connection between dysfunction and bitterness, right? It's not just the presence of dysfunction that causes bitterness. It's the failure to handle that dysfunction well that causes bitterness. Let me say that again. It is not just the presence of dysfunction that causes bitterness. It's the failure to handle it well that causes bitterness in us. Every parent makes his or her mistakes. Every spouse has his or her faults. Every kid is challenging to raise in some way. And some of you are like, not me. Well, it's probably mostly you. I'm kidding. Maybe it's not. Every family has its stories. Dysfunction is somewhere in there. Think about your own family. Your family of origin, the family that you came from. Think about all the unhealthy or abusive, or, or even just questionable things. Maybe some of you won't say that, well, my family wasn't unhealthy, but, well, maybe there were some things that my parents did that I probably wouldn't do with my kids. Let's just say it that way. Let's put it, let's put it a little more nicely. I wouldn't do that with my kids. <clears throat> but I think my parents were probably just doing what they thought was best. Okay? We all have those things. Think about your spouse if you're married. Are there unhealthy habits that have been formed? Is there dysfunction or has there been dysfunction in your relationship? Those of you here who have ex-spouses, what were those unhealthy dysfunctional habits that were formed, those things that became hard or even impossible to live with? Think about people here in this church, family. Are there strained relationships among us? Are there connections that have been broken in some way? When you think about any of that and your family and the people that you have in your relationships, is there bitterness in your heart? Is there hurt? Are there hard feelings? If we're being honest, I think at some point, at some point, most of us would say, yeah, 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 there is. It's being honest. Yes, there is. If you imagine your, your, that your life is like soil, then the dysfunction in, in your life is like the seeds of bitterness, right? If you've ever experienced relational dysfunction of any kind, those seeds have been thrown. They've been sown. They're there. 
It just happened whenever there's dysfunction. The, the seeds have been thrown, right? And we all have them. And here's where that warning from Hebrews comes back, right? See to it that no bitter root grows up and to cause trouble and defile many. What do seeds do? If you leave them in the ground, and you water them, and you give them what they need to grow, what are they going to do? They're going to grow. So a seed of bitterness can become a root of bitterness. And then roots eventually sprout, and they bear their fruit. And from there, it just continues to grow and grow and grow, if you allow it to, right? Let's continue in the story of Joseph and his brothers. Verse 12. Now his brothers had gone to graze their father's flock near Shechem. And Israel said to Joseph, as you know, your brothers are grazing their flocks near Shechem. Come, I am going to send you to them. Really think that's a good idea, Dad? Very well, he replied, because he's a good son. So he said to him, go and see if all is well with your brothers and with the flocks and bring word back to me. Go see if your brothers are behaving, right? Because that's what you do best. Then he sent him off to the valley of Hebron. When Joseph arrived at Shechem, a man found him wandering around in the fields and asked him, what are you looking for? He replied, I'm looking for my brothers. Can you tell me where they are grazing their flocks? Oh, they've moved on from here, the man answered. I heard them say, let's go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them near Dothan. But when they saw him in the distance, listen, this is their response to him, right? When they saw him coming, and before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. Whoa, that escalated quickly. (laughs) Okay. Here comes that dreamer, they said to each other. Come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what becomes of his dreams. When Reuben, the oldest son, right, heard about this, he tried to rescue him from their hands. No, 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 let's not take his life. Don't shed any blood. Throw, throw him into the well, throw him into the pit, the cistern here in the wilderness. Don't lay a hand on him. Reuben said this to rescue him from them and take him back to his father. So he was going to come back later and just drag him out of the pit and take him back to death. So what, you better get that. <laughs> So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, right? That jacket that his dad had made for him. They they took it off of him. They ripped it off of him. And they took him and they threw him in the empty well. The cistern was empty. There was no water in it. (laughs) And then it says, as they sat down to eat their meal, because, of course, that's a great time to eat a meal right after you've left your brother for dead. (laughs) They looked up and they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead. Their camels were loaded with spices, balm, and myrrh, and they were on their way to take them down to Egypt. Judah said to his brothers, what will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, come on, let's, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites, not lay our hands on him. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood. Come on, he's our brother, after all. Let's just sell him as a slave. Let's not kill him. Then, uh, so, so when Reuben returned to the cistern and saw that Joseph wasn't there, um, he tore his clothes, went back to his brother, said, oh, the boy isn't there, where can we turn now? So they got Joseph's robe, they slaughtered a goat, dipped the robe in blood, they took the ornate robe back to their father and said, oh, we found this. Is this this Joseph's robe? And he recognized it, of course, and he said, it is my son's robe. Some ferocious animals devoured him. Joseph has surely been torn to pieces. Then Jacob, the father, tore his clothes, put on sackcloth. This is what they did, right, when they were mourning, and they just mourned for his son many days, right, just crying, inconsolable. All his sons and daughters came to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. No, he said, I will continue to mourn until I join my son in the grave. So his father wept for him. All the dysfunction in this family had sown the seeds of bitterness in the hearts of these brothers 
because it wasn't dealt with, and it took root, and it took hold. And now we see that the bitterness had become full-fledged, a full-fledged plant overgrown, out of control, all-consuming. Just the sight of him coming caused them to say, hey, there he comes. Let's kill him. Now, you know it's really bad when the son who slept with the dad's concubine is the one who sounds reasonable. Reuben. That's what he did. He slept with one of his dad's concubines. And he said, no, 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 let's not kill him. Let's, let's, let's hold off. Let's not do that. And then when they saw the Ishmaelites coming, their reasonable alternative was to go ahead and sell him as a slave. The story serves as an example that, yes, there are consequences when we don't deal with the bitterness that's in our hearts. Because that bitterness grows. Now, most of us, most of us, I, don't, I can't speak for all of us, but I think most of us probably would not plot murder to the people that we feel bitter toward. You might, you might have thoughts. I think especially you guys who are growing, right? You get mad at your parents, and you're like... Some of you parents, sometimes you're like... Right? We, yeah, we feel, we feel that way towards each other sometimes. Most of us probably wouldn't plot murder, but allowing bitterness is dangerous. We can't afford to ignore the consequences, what happens when we allow that bitterness to grow. So what are the consequences of allowing bitterness to grow in our hearts? I think this story gives us some pretty clear pictures. Hatred. Hatred comes out of that, right? What did Jesus say about hatred? He said, if you hate somebody in your heart, it is the same as murdering them in your heart. It's murder. It doesn't have to, hatred doesn't have to be a raging rampage. Hatred is really just disregarding somebody's life. Bitterness leads to hatred, which Jesus said is like spiritual murder. Ouch, okay, so watch that one. Uh, bitterness leads to saying or doing things that we know we're going to regret. Right? I didn't deal with this bitterness in my heart, and it kind of stays in there, and it kind of festers, right? and kind of grows. It's like, a, it's like a soda bottle or can that's been shaken up, and as soon as you open it, it just blows up in your face, right? We end up saying or doing things that we are going to regret. Sometimes we don't even realize that there are those things inside of there. And often we lash out because we've been holding these things inside, just like Joseph's brothers. We don't realize until it's too late that we've made a mistake. I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have said that. It's too late to say it's sorry at that point, isn't it? It's too late to say, oh, I didn't mean that. It's already out. Damage has already been done. Another result, kind of the final end, is that we end up hurting the people that we love, the people that are closest to us, because we let bitterness grow in our hearts. Out of the pain that we experience, we cause pain to the people that we love. As the saying goes, hurt people will hurt people. So why do I want to fight against this bitterness inside of me? Because the people who have hurt me deserve it? Nope. Uh, because they have apologized and they begged for forgiveness? No, nope, that might never happen. I don't know what your situation is today. What cause you have for bitterness? I know some of you, some of your stories. The causes that you have for bitterness in your life. All I know is that for you and for me, I think we can all agree we don't want, we don't want weeds growing in our garden. We don't want weeds. There's an, old, uh, there's an old adage, probably comes from the, originally from the 12 Steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. It says, holding on to bitterness is like drinking poison 
and waiting or expecting the other person to die. That's what bitterness is. Because it grows up and it poisons you. Paul tells us in Romans 3 that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Bitterness may not kill you physically, but it can harm and eventually kill your soul. But in Christ, we have this gift of eternal life, right? You know, Jesus Christ died to set us free from bitterness that is caused by the dysfunction in our lives. So what are we going to do? What do we do? How do we stop this root of bitterness from growing up inside of us? How do we stop it from growing to the point that it even causes us to hurt those that are closest to us? I want to share three weapons that you have to combat bitterness. If you think of bitterness like weeds, they're ugly, they suck the life out of the good plants that are growing in your garden, then think of these things like the weed killer. Weapons against bitterness. First of all, empathy. We talked a couple weeks, about, weeks ago about empathy, right? Um, and if you weren't here, I encourage you to go back and... and Take a listen to that. Empathy, as we said, is the ability to get in somebody else's shoes and walk around for a bit. Now, having empathy for somebody doesn't excuse the ways that they might have hurt you, but it does allow you to see that how that person probably was hurt in their past, which caused them to do the things that they did. Now, I want to be very careful, all right? Having empathy for somebody that hurts you doesn't mean that you need to go back to that person and say, hey, tell me your story. If, if you've been abused, you don't want to go back to that person that's abused you. I'm not telling you you should go back to that person. What I'm saying is, try to put yourself in that person's shoes and think, what must they have been through to cause them to do the horrible things that they did to me? Wow. You can at least imagine yourself in their shoes or imagine what they must have been through, that they would become so hurtful. Another weapon that we have against, uh, against bitterness is thankfulness. I was reading, uh, reading the Bible this past week with my kids, and the, the lesson in their little kid's Bible was about thankfulness, about how instead of complaining, we can be thankful. So I told my kids, I said, okay, next time you see Daddy looking mad, I'm giving you permission. I want you to tell me, Daddy, don't forget to be thankful. You think they forgot? <laughs> they did not forget. Friday morning, rushing out the door, grabbing things. Ah, oh, yeah, get in the car. Right, trying to get my kids in the car to go to school. My wife and I are barking at each other. Oh, don't forget this. And I've come back for the sixth time because I forgot something inside the house. I get in the car. My daughter, Daddy, don't forget to be thankful. <laughs> All right, I see, I see what you did there. I see you. And then my son, yeah, Daddy, don't forget to be thankful. <laughs> just to... Just to yeah, thankful. I mean, now, you don't need to be thankful for the people that have hurt you or the people that you're mad at, especially if there's been abuse or toxicity in the relationship. But focus on the things that you can be thankful for. We have plenty of things to be thankful for. That helps to combat that bitterness inside us. I could choose to focus on the things that I'm, I'm mad at or the people that have hurt me, or I can choose to say, you know what? There are a lot of people in my life that love me. There are a lot of people in my life that care. There are a lot of people in my life that have been there for me. That doesn't automatically mean you don't still feel hurt toward the people that have hurt you. But be thankful for the people in your life that do love you. Be thankful for the things in your life that you think, man, wow, praise God, thank you. When you're really mad, being thankful is probably like the last thing that you want to do. Thankful. You could take that, you know. I'm not going to be thankful. But 
it is a weapon against bitterness. Third one, humility. Back in 2012, um, I hurt my back so badly that I couldn't even walk. It's definitely the worst injury that I've ever had. I felt so frustrated and annoyed. I, I couldn't even do simple things like get myself dressed, go to the bathroom. I had to like, crawl to the bathroom, you know, put my pants on like this. Annoying, right? Now, that, that conflict could have easily turned into dysfunction, right? Where I could have lashed out at my wife or it would have planted those seeds of bitterness, right? Because I was just so frustrated. I was so angry. But instead, I was so humble because I couldn't do anything for myself. I mean, I was there. I could, like, flail my arms, you know. I, could, I couldn't do anything for myself. I couldn't even get up and walk. I could barely crawl. And I see my wife there taking care of me and bringing me food while I'm in bed. And she's still taking care of our baby daughter. She was about 11 months at the time. And, and I, really, I felt like I had no choice but to be humble. What could I do? You know, humility allows me to, to, to see this conflict for what it is and, and to say, okay, we're going to tackle this together because I don't have the ability to be arrogant right now. <laughs> I can't do anything for myself. Sometimes we just need to be humble. That will help us to combat that bitterness. And by the way, another great weed killer of bitterness, spend time around people who have empathy, who are thankful, who, who are humble. You know, one of the worst things to do when you feel bitter is to, is to hang around people who are going to make you feel more bitter. And, you know, we have those people in our lives, right? Oh, yeah, girl, you know, you don't need to, yeah, forget them, right? Oh, yeah, you know, you know screw that, whatever, you know, like, right? We have those people in our lives that are like, you know, you deserve better, right? It's like you know, those people in our lives that, are, that, that will encourage us to be more bitter, and that doesn't mean that the people in your life that are thankful and empathetic and humble, that doesn't mean that they're not going to be able to, to, to feel your pain. Because sometimes when you go through something, they're going to say, oh, that is terrible. You know what? You need, you need to get out of that relationship or you need to get out of that situation. That, that doesn't mean that they're going to be blind. But you need people in your life who are going to encourage you to combat the bitterness instead of to <laughs> make the bitterness worse. You see what I'm saying? As we get ready to close, I want to give you two things to do uh, for homework. Yeah, I'm giving you homework. Simple, though. And I'm going to do these things, too, all right? Um, first, I want you to, to, to do a very simple exercise. Um, could be today, but I, don't, don't wait too long. Do it in the next, within the next couple of days. I want you to take a small piece of paper. could be a post-it. could be a turn-off piece of uh, larger paper or whatever. You should write the word bitterness at the top. And I want you to write the names of the people that you feel bitter toward. Yeah, and maybe you can have a long, maybe you need a long paper, I don't know. Okay? Then what I want you to do is I want you to take that paper and I want you to throw it away. Now, here's why I'm having you do this. I'm not, this is not a symbol of you throwing those people away. Okay? I'm not asking you to, to you know, just disregard their life or whatever. Um, and, and it doesn't mean that somehow... My abuelita used to say that you, if you had like a hurt or whatever, you can like tie a little rag around it and then, and then around the hurt and then throw it out in the street and then whoever like picks up the rag next is going to take the hurt away. I'm not talking about, you know, that stuff like, like that, right? I'm not saying you're going you're gonna to throw the paper away and, you, and your hurt's just going to fly away with the paper or whatever, okay? Um, the reason I'm having you do this is it's a symbol that you are willing to begin to let go of your bitterness toward people that have hurt you. And that you are willing to let God start to heal 
that bitterness and that hurt. Do you see what I'm saying? Do you see, do you see, do you see what, what this exercise is talking about, right? For some of you, that might mean that you are willing to try talking to this person that has hurt you. Maybe you have avoided talking to this person for weeks or months or years. For others, talking to that person might not be possible or even wise. And in that case, it's just for your benefit that you're willing to let go of your bitterness. Maybe you can pray for that person. Do you see what I'm saying? And how many of you know that you could forgive somebody and the next day that hurt will come up again and you need to forgive them all over again? Right? And you're right. And and we're going to be like, I can't can't do it. So maybe for some of us, we need to have a whole stack of post-its. And we just need to do it several times a week or even several times a day. Let it go. Here it comes again. Let it go again. Can you believe what that... I got to let it go again. Let it go again. Oh, this, what this person said to me reminded me of what that... Let it go again. And this is important for any of us to do. But for those of us who identify ourselves with Christ, this is, this is a non-negotiable. Because I know some of us are holding on to bitterness in our hearts today. Some of you might not even know that you're doing it. You may be making very poor decisions in your life. You might be hurting people around you. And you don't even realize that those things are happening because you're just mad. So that's the first thing I want to invite you to do. Maybe, maybe you should even do it before you leave here today. You know, take your bulletin if you haven't already written in it. We have a section of our bulletin that's just lines. Rip it off. Do it right now before you leave. Okay? Don't wait. If you already know, do it. Take that paper, throw it in the trash. Next thing I want to invite you to do is come to the rest of the series, particularly the next two, um, because uh, next week Albert is going to be talking about how to fight well. How do, we, how do we fight with the people in our lives? And fights do come. How many of you know fights are going to come? Right? But how do we fight with the people in our lives in a way that will actually help our relationships to be stronger instead of hurting each other, instead of harming each other, instead of making things worse? Pastor Albert's going to talk about how do we fight well. And then the week after that, Pastor Christine is going to be talking about uh, confrontation. How do we have difficult conversations? Again, how do we do these things in a way that heals instead of harms? Now, I want to be very clear. It's not like each one of us is an expert in these things, right? It's not like I'm an expert in, oh, this is how you do it. I've got my own bitterness. It's not like Pastor Christine is an expert in In fact, I, I would say that among us pastors, we've all had our failures in all of these things. We have. But we really believe these are things we just have to talk about as a church. They're hard conversations that we need to have. And... The reason why I talk about bitterness today is because I felt like before we get into talking about fighting and confrontations, we just kind of have to deal with the bitterness first. How many times, how many times do fights blow up 
because of the bitterness that we were already holding on to, which makes the fight that much worse. How many times have you set out to, you know, I'm just going to go talk to this person. I'm going to try to stay cool. I'm going to try to keep my calm. But you know it blows up in your face because there's bitterness laced into your confrontation. It's not just a confrontation. There's a little knife in there, right? There's bitterness in there. So you can't just have a conversation. Now it's blown up in your face. And I have to tell you, I was actually supposed to talk about something else today, and I just felt so heavy on my heart that we needed to talk about addressing bitterness in our, in our hearts. And it's not that I enjoy talking about bitterness so much. I actually want to sow seeds of love and, and healing. But I know bitterness kills marriages. I know bitterness kills families. I know that bitterness can kill churches. And I don't want to see that happen to any of us. And I don't want to see that happen to our church family. And I know that some of us are dealing with more than we may let on when we come here on Sundays and we put on a nice face. And lately I've been feeling that that bitterness can threaten this Trinity Church family if we are not careful. For some of us, especially those of us who have been around Trinity for a little bit, there's a lot of emotions swirling around with changes that have happened over the last couple of years, changes in staff positions, adding a second campus, ministries that have left us feeling worn out, other ministries that we feel like struggling just to find volunteers and help. And now Albert and Christine are getting ready to, to leave. So, yeah, this family that we call Trinity Church of the Nazarene presents lots of opportunities to experience bitterness. Or there's lots of opportunities to experience Christ-like, selfless, life-changing, healing love. I want to sow seeds of that kind of love. And I want us to avoid allowing those seeds of bitterness to grow up. So what I'm asking you today, Trinity Church family, is can we choose love? And can we choose to combat bitterness? Amen. Let's give uh, just a, a round of applause just for God and his goodness. God. God, as we go into this time of celebrating um, the children among us and uh, the steps that many of them are taking, I just want to celebrate and God, as we've been talking about avoiding the things that, that cause bitterness and hurt, Lord, we want to do better, not just for our own lives, we want to do better for our kids. We want them to, to grow up in homes that, that display love and forgiveness and healing and, and, hope, and just hope, God, beyond the pain that we've experienced. Thank you, Lord, and just bless this time of celebration now. We pray in Jesus' name.